Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. I'm sorry I didn't have a podcast yesterday. I had a shoot that I actually had to go to on Long Island yesterday, so I was out there doing that, coming back from the traffic, so I didn't have enough time to, to get the notes, see what's go, what was going on in the news, but I caught up last night, I caught up this morning on some stuff that was happening, so I have it all laid out, ready to go, and there's some stuff, some pretty important stuff in the world of Hollywood that is going on. I'm going to be talking about the major first debut of the Trial of the Chicago 7 trailer, I'm going to be talking about Mandalorian, there's an illusion or anticipation from one of its actors saying that there could be more than just the anticipated three seasons of Mandalorian and how it's telling its long overarching story and the weekend preview. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is breaking news that came out about an hour, hour and a half ago at the time of this recording. And that is the non-surprising announcement that Disney has delayed a bunch of projects well into 2021 that has major ramifications for next year along with this year as well. So this comes from the Hollywood Reporter article, and this talks about kind of all the the entire layout for what is delayed and where it will be moving to. So this is what the article had to say. And the first major delay was Marvel's female superhero pick starring Scarlett Johansson's as Black Widow had been set to hit the big screen on November 6th. It will now open on May 7th of 2021. In turn, Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is being pushed from the May 7th date to July 9th of 2021. Marvel's Eternals also has a brand new date of November of next year, November uh, November 5th of 2021. And also Steven Spielberg's West Side Story from 20th Century and Amblin is being delayed almost an entire year and moving from December 18th to December 10th of 2021. Disney isn't giving up its seat at the 2020 Christmas table entirely. It is relocating 20th Century's Death on the Nile from October 23rd to December 18th. Black Widow's exit from the early November calendar is bad news for exhibitors who need temples as they reopen. One bit of good news for theater owners is Pixar's Soul is still sticking to its November 20th, 2020 theatrical release date, while 20th Century's Free Guy starring Ryan Reynolds is keeping its December 11th, 2020 date. None, no, none were any of the filmmakers mentioned in Tuesday's announcements being sent to Disney Plus as Mulan's was. Elsewhere on Disney's calendar, The Kingsman is being moved from February 26, 2021 to February 12, 2021. The latter had been the home of Marvel's Eternals, which is being moved to November 5th of 2021. And among 20th century slash Disney's titles, The Empty Man with James Badgesdale is moving from December 4th of this year to October 23rd, while Deep Water with Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas is being delayed from November 13th of this year to August 13th of 2021. So the first little bit of news that I want to get out of there, which again is a whole lot of projects that are being pushed deep into the new year. And again, this isn't like it's being moved to February or March. This is in the the end of the first half of 2021 all the way to the very end of next year. So this is a very, very significant for so many reasons. The first one that I want to talk about is, of course, the Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. And that, I think, was always up in the air.
there. I think even though a lot of people might have thought, well, maybe they, they're done shooting, they're in post-production, maybe they're going to get it out for this award season. And if they do decide to move it, maybe they move it to January or February since this year's Oscar slate, the calendar, has been extended to the end of February to have any of the films that studios want to be eligible for this year's Academy Awards. That wasn't the case, and I think Disney and 20th Century see, even though they're the same company, they see that this has potential to potent- to be a musical box office hit. They're not just looking for the award slate, which is this is a sure-fired Academy Award potential nominated film across the board. So they want that, but I think they also see the financial capability and they want to make sure that there is confidence enough that by December 2021, everything is in full 100, 100% capacity for theaters. COVID is hopefully gone at that point, well under control, and they're able to enjoy some success in the winter calendar with a musical that has had a lot of financial success there. Unfortunately, we just have to wait that long of a time, but it makes sense. I don't really think there's any surprise there. It just takes, I think, a major, major film out of this year's award season, which will will honestly be dominated by streaming services and indies. There's not really going to be a big, major film this year on that kind of level that is going to be released this year. As of right now, the only film that maybe you can make the case for is Dune at this point. But even though I love Denny Villeneuve and I think that film is going to be great, I still want to see how that film does and how the Academy receives it if it still does come out on December 18th. So this award season just got a whole lot more interesting now that West Side Story is out of the picture for this year. Next year, we'll see what comes out. Again, the award season every single year, there's always surprises that come out and surprise people. So maybe the buzz could die down on West Side Story like it kind of was this year a little bit, even with the the, the slim down of the film festivals. There were so a lot of things that came out that impressed a lot of people. So maybe that'll be the same case next year, or maybe West Side Story can have a stronger presence during award season next year. So that was the first main thing. The death on the Nile, I think that makes sense to move something like West Side Story away. Then if you still want to compete, you don't have anything major come out, but he saw something that is is a mid-level budgeted film, probably around $100 million to, or $100 million to, to, to produce in the budget. So it's still something that you're risking, but it's not like you're risking something that you know is a surefire hit. If you make money around the world in some United States, during that time period, then you'll go home happy. If not, then it's just something that you coughed up and, and see oh, what could happen with it. Uh, when you look at Kingsman, you, you look at you you look at the the deep water movie again i think disney's just kind of keeping it and maneuvering it for soul especially i think a lot of people are wondering is soul going to release on november 20th which i'm not really so sure i still put it at 50 50 i think if anything disney is still i think trying to accumulate Maybe if they want to move it to Disney Plus or not, I still think there's a viable shot that it moves to Disney Plus, especially hearing some of the reports that are coming out here domestically that for Disney Plus, it made some pretty good money that it keeps for itself over well over $200 million in subscriber based money from that premier access of $30 that people had to pay for Mulan and still have to pay right now. And on December 4th, that will be gone at that point. So I think for Disney, it's still kind of waiting and seeing. And maybe in the next few weeks, we could see a decision 
on where Soul moves. And this really kind of brings us to the the Marvel Studios slate. And again, a lot of people wondering, well, is Black Widow going to move to Disney Plus now with Mulan? Again, I still think that's Soul, but this goes to show once again that Disney sees the value of Marvel Studios, the biggest franchise in the world at this point right now. Disney owns it. They know the money they can make off of those movies, and they won't go to any streaming services at this point. But this is this is the major blow. And again, moving Black Widow to May 7th, Shang-Chi and Eternals moving, that's the big news as well, where when, we, when we've seen these films move, it's been Black Widow and then the Eternals, as it was when Kevin Feige announced Phase 4 last year at San Diego Comic-Con. However, right now it has it as Black Widow opening May 7th, you have Shang-Chi opening on July 9th, and then you have Eternals opening on November 5th of 2021. So a film that has been in post-production for the last few months is getting a later release date than a film that is, as of right now, being reported currently in production with Shang-Chi. So maybe Kevin Feige, they've reworked a little bit of Shang-Chi can fit in the middle of those two stories and it won't really affect the overall storyline of what's moving forward. And uh, it seems like they want Black Widow to be the first theatrical film coming out of the uh, Phase 4 in terms of the MCU. And with those theatrical release dates, this will be the first time since 2009 that for a full calendar year, from January to December of a year, we don't have an MCU film. And it's been, I think, well over 600 days at the time when Black Widow was supposed to come out in November, I think, that will have a full a full year or more than a full year since Spider-Man Far From Home, From Home, which is the last Disney film or the last Marvel film to come out in in a year. So this will be the first time since 2009 where in 08 it was Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, and then in 2010 it was Iron Man 2. And this will be the first time that we don't have any kind of any kind of salvation or, or salivating for Marvel film content. But the one upside to it is, is at least on the Disney Plus front, we get the first MCU show, which will have prominent characters from the Avengers, and that will be WandaVision. And from hearing about what WandaVision has done with its trailer since its debut during the Emmys on Sunday night, it has made or accumulated over 53 million plus views on YouTube, which is huge, especially I think for this year, for any of the Super Bowl ads that have come out on when it came out on February. So there's a lot of hype for this WandaVision show, and this will be the first thing coming out of the Phase 4 slate that it was supposed to be Black Widow, but now it'll be WandaVision. So I think a lot of Marvel fans are going to eat this show up. This could be the only thing that comes out that is major for Marvel this year. And I just think it makes sense. And from the studio side, you can't fault them for wanting to go this route. And my heart goes out for Warner Brothers and Tenet for attempting to try to revive the box office, but it seemed like, if anything... It pushed people away from saying, you know what, the theaters, especially here in the U.S., aren't back to where they need to be. So we're just going to wait off a year and see what happens. And you can't blame Disney for the decision that they made or really any studio. They're just looking to protect the investments that they have made. But the other side of the coin is my heart goes out to even more so is for the theaters who have opened up. And the reason they opened up is because Tenet was supposed to be the start of major films coming out 
and supposed to reinvigorate the box office and supposed to reinvigorate movie going with all these new safety implementations for COVID-19. And the studios were to see, oh, you know what? People are coming back. Let's put these studio films back out there, these major films, and we'll try to operate in this new normal. And that wasn't the case. Wonder Woman moved. Disney is now moving a lot of their stuff. Universal has already moved a lot of their stuff earlier in the year. Same thing with Sony as well. It's just it hasn't worked that well. And for studios, not for studios, but for theaters, they have to have major blockbusters in order to survive. That is what the the box office has been predicated on over the years. All due respect to mid-level budgeted indie films, you, you theaters can't operate just on that. People aren't going to go out for that stuff. They'll go out for a, a Nolan film. They'll go out for a comic book adaptation, a Wonder Woman, a Black Widow, even in Eternals. They'll go out for a, a Bond film. They'll go out for a Pixar film. Unfortunately, they just indie films don't make the kind of money that they used to make. Even though I love indie films, I love mid, mid-level budgeted films. They're incredible. And some of the best films better than some of the multi-big big bonanza blockbusters that come out so those are always the gems that you find but in terms of financial success theaters don't they don't survive off of that they survive off of the avengers off of the the nolan films and in normal time periods they survive off of star wars films that's the stuff that keeps the engines moving that's the gas that keeps the car going for movie theaters and the stuff that comes in is just it's 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 auxiliary stuff it's stuff that that helps it move along the way but it isn't the main engine that drives that would be the big blockbuster so my heart goes out to to the movie theaters because this is a huge huge blow for them this is a gut punch this was worst case scenario where Tenet comes out, you hope for the best, you hope that studios say, you know what, we feel confident that we can put movies out there, even though it's not up to 100% yet, we feel confident that we can make some kind of money. They don't feel that way. And according to the articles, and I have to concur with this as well, if you don't have the major markets, I think that's a big reason for why the studios are saying we just don't trust the box office at this point because you don't have the L.A. market. You don't have the big L.A. county market. You have Orange County opening up. You have San Diego opening up. You have smaller you have markets in California opening, but not the major one that you need. It's the same thing here in Jersey where you have the outer New York state areas like Jersey, Connecticut open, but it's not New York City. New York City is the media capital of the world. It's where the one of the big markets for theaters, they hold premieres there. If you don't have that, you don't have LA, you don't have San Francisco, you're not going to be able to do anything. And you're seeing even in the tenant reports for when the box office numbers come in every weekend over the last three or four weeks. And especially the last two weeks when Orange County opened up in the LA area, that was the number one area that had the most buzz and the most business flow in for theaters it was still in california it was still in the outer la area so the numbers are supporting i think what a lot of studios are seeing and if the 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 theaters aren't opening up in october november then what's the point 
So I think it's just a sad day for theater exhibitioners. This is not what they wanted to see. This was worst case scenario. It's happening. And it's again, this was no surprise that these moves were happening. There were reports, specifically one for Deadline that came out, saying that Black Widow was most likely going to move. The fact that it moved to open up the summer movie season, I think Marvel just wants to try to get themselves and Disney wants to get themselves into some kind of normalcy. And I think all due respect to Shang-Chi, I don't think that was the best film to open up in 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 May, even though it is a Marvel Studios film, I think moving it to in August or even a July, I think that works a lot better as well. And to have a familiar character open up the the MCU once again for fans, you know the name Black Widow, you know Scarlett Johansson has been in that role for ten, what will be about twelve years when she will be in that role, or really eleven years since she starred in that role with Iron Man two. You know the familiar face that she ha- is in that film. It has a really good cast. You know what you're getting with that film so i think that's the safer bet opening the 2021 summer movie season up shang chi opening up july is a smart move and then keep the roller coaster going and so next year is going to be stacked it is i saw the list and if you see eric davis's list he does since the pandemic has begun he's done an incredible job keeping track of the major films that have moved within 2020 or to next year or the year after he's done an incredible job of it and seeing the list of 2021 films both films that moved from this year to 21 or have were supposed to come out next year it's going to be ridiculous so only time will tell again i don't think this is going to be the end of it i think we're going to see wonder woman move i think dune is going to move it's it's going to be a very difficult end of the year for movie theaters and i think we're going to see movie theaters cut back on times i think we're going to see them open up in 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 different days of the week i don't think it'll be straight monday through sunday they might open up on wednesday through sunday they might take monday tuesday off so it's a wait and see game and unfortunately it's not a great time for the national association of theater owners or any of the mom and pops shops as well in terms of indie film or theaters that are out there right now so We'll see what happens, but not a good look so far with the movie theaters. What do you guys think about the Disney's announcements for this? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now I want to move away from these release date changes to a major trailer that came out this morning. And if you are a fan of this film or if you're a fan of this guy's work, if you're a fan of Oscar season, you've anticipated and looked over and analyzed the stuff that could make waves during this year's award season, then this is a film that you've been keeping your eye on. And boy, did it ever impress. And that is the trial of the Chicago 7 trailer. A few weeks ago, we got like a little teaser of the movie, the characters, the atmosphere, what it's like. But this is really our first in-depth look at what this film is going to be and boy did it deliver i mean i had goosebumps from the middle on of that trailer and and i was loving every single minute of it and funny enough the the night before that there seemed like netflix sent out screenings and had like a little virtual premiere for the trial of chicago 7 and a lot of people started to react to the film and some of the reactions I was able to to paste on here, and, and I wanted to give some of them. So the first one comes from Eric Davis, the managing editor over at Fandango. And he had to say, 
Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of Chicago 7 is absolutely terrific and will definitely be among the year's best. Sharp, riveting, timely, tremendous writing, and sensational performances across the board. A chilling but inspiring film about power of protest. Just a masterful courtroom drama that you can't turn away from. I want to say my favorite from the ensemble was Sasha Baron Cohen, but everyone gets significant moments and everyone crushes them. Pure team effort and a lot of fun to watch. And then Clayton Davis, the awards contributor, contributor, excuse me, over at Variety, said, The Trial of Chicago 7 is slick and remarkable. Sad cast ensemble frontrunner Frank Langella is sensationally despicable, while Sasha Baron Cohen is savvy and soulfully aware of his urgency. Editing ignites Sorkin arrives in the director's space. And that is something that really does impress me because watching the trailer, the one thing that I was really impressed by was the direction that was teased in this trailer of Aaron Sorkin because I've been anticipating this film because of Aaron Sorkin because I know how wonderful of a screenwriter he is but the one question mark really only coming into this movie was how it has his directing evolved since his first feature film Molly's Game because with Molly's Game you're always wondering well how is a writer who is great at what he does transition over to being a director and for Molly's Game it wasn't a, a great film. I thought the script itself was very, very good. It lived up to Sorkin expectations. The performances were phenomenal, and that is all attributed to the director. And he directed a a, a, a good film, a, a very good film, I would say. Not a great one, but a very good one for a, a directorial debut. And so I wanted to see him, how he evolved from starting out as very good to becoming something that could really be great. And you add that to already his masterful writing skills. This guy could be a lethal one-two combination of writer and director. And it seems like he's bringing that with the trial of the Chicago 7. So adding to seeing, my, to seeing the trailer and adding my reaction to just seeing that to what Eric Davis and Clayton Davis have said about the film overall gets me really, really excited. And he could be up there in the in the directing conversation. I know for, if you see my picks on, on Gold Derby, I have him out of the the directing space as of right now. That could again very well change once I actually see the film next month. But I have him in my as my top choice for best adapted screenplay. I think he's the front runner. Whenever you, there's a Sorkin film, it's always up there in my top five. So I, I'm waiting and seeing in, in anticipation for that. And the other big thing again is this cast. When you look at who is a part of this film, Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, Jeremy Strong, Mark Ryland, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who is coming off an Emmy win a few days ago from Watchmen. You have Michael Keaton, Frank Langella, Jordan Gordon-Levitt. I mean, it is a phenomenal cast. And I think one of the big things coming into this, in terms of questions about what this could be nominated for, a big mark is going to be how is this cast going to be nominated. And I would agree that if you were to look at all the cast from this year, this is the front runner for the SAG far and away by none. Again, we're still months and months away from that, that it could change. But because of how great this cast looks is incredible. Also, Eddie Redmayne, I don't know if I mentioned him as well. He's a, He has a big part of this film. And I think what's going to be a question is who, who's going to be nominated where? When you, from what I've been hearing, from the reactions and what a lot of people correlate of what could come out in terms of nominations in the acting category 
Sasha Baron Cohen, which if you were to tell me that a few years ago, I would have said you're out of your mind. But here he is in an Aaron Sorkin film delivering both comedically, but also in a serious manner in this film. It looks very, very good. I attached to his character. You could have Jeremy Strong in for supporting. Yahya Abdul-Mateen could be in this as well. There's just so many people. Mark Rylance I've been hearing a lot about in supporting. There's just a lot of places you can put this cast and you could put him in supporting actor. You could put him in best acting category. There's just a million things you could do with it. So the trailer itself, I I loved it. I thought it invoked a lot of stuff that is very timely. I think for what we're going through as a country in 2020 with a lot of the racial injustice that is going on, with a lot of the protests that have been happening across the United States, that I think a lot of people want to hear their voices. And, and I think we're, we're seeing that in this film. And it's not like Sorkin saw the future and wrote this film. He wrote it and it just over the years has become very timely. And so seeing this, it gets me excited. Also knowing that this is a courtroom drama, Sorkin very well known for especially a few good men which is an incredible film and has an amazing courtroom dialogue so to see him kind of go back to that with this film it will it'll be set in a courtroom setting and knowing kind of the the suspense that he can give in just the dialogue itself with a lot of these performers i'm just really looking forward to it i cannot wait for it i goosebumps in this trailer and it definitely shot up as probably I have to wait to see what Mank does with their trailer because that one I'm really looking forward to as well. But right now, this shoots up as my most anticipated film of October. But I still have to wait and see the Mank trailer before I make that definitive statement. But the Trial of Chicago 7 trailer did not disappoint. I'm looking forward to it, and I cannot wait to check it out in a few weeks from now. So be on the look for it. It looks great. You can't get wrong with Aaron Sorkin and seeing him make, it sounds like the leaps that he did as a director, this guy again is going to be a lethal one-two combination in the future, it sounds like. So Aaron Sorkin shining bright as he always does. And I cannot wait to see what this film is going to be all about in about a month or so. What do you guys think about the trial of the Chicago 7 trailer? Let me know and leave your thoughts below. Now moving from the Trial of Chicago 7 award season to a galaxy far, far away, I want to talk about season two and the future of The Mandalorian, the hit Disney Plus show that won a total of seven Emmys at the Creative Emmy Art Awards over the week. It was a major, major win for Disney+. Plus. It is a cultural phenomenon for Disney+. Plus. And I think a lot of people are wondering what the future of The Mandalorian holds. We have a brand new season coming on October 30th that excites a lot of people, especially when there's not a whole lot of big budgeted IP franchise stuff to look forward to, especially now that Marvel has moved a lot of their major films to next year. The Mandalorian and WandaVision are, are really what a lot of, of fans can look forward to, especially a lot, a lot of nerd fans that are looking forward to in the geekdom world. And I think we're slowly over the next few weeks going to start getting a lot of press for The Mandalorian and a lot of reviews for what this new season is going to be about. It's looking to expand the universe, expand the story, involve more of the mythology and maybe some characters from other Star Wars properties into this show to help expand The Mandalorian to the larger Star Wars universe. It seems like we're going to be getting more about the Jedi, more about the background of the child, aka the lovable baby Yoda, more about the Mandalorian, Moff Gideon, and just so much stuff to, 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 to see in this brand new season. And one of the things that was talked about and reported a few months ago was that Disney Plus potentially did renew Mandalorian for a season three before we even got season two. 
And that was kind of the case of what happened in season one, where in 2019, we heard about the show. We didn't know what it was going to really entail, but already Disney announced that there would be a second season before anybody really saw the first the first live image of The Mandalorian. They had so much confidence in it, and it seems like they already have enough confidence to give it a season three renewal. And it seems like that might not just be all that is going to be getting in the future as it was announced or really talked about by Giancarlo Esposito that maybe there could be a season four on the horizon as well. And that the story like John Favreau and Dave Filoni have talked about is really kind of a singular vision, a singular story that they're telling over these seasons. Again, as they talked about kind of taking the, the cues from what Game of Thrones did of telling a slow, progressive, singular story throughout multiple seasons. And this is what Giancarlo Esposito had to say about that. We're living in a universe that is huge and there's so much to explore. So I think the show is going to lay the groundwork for the depth and breadth that's going to come in season three and four, where you're really going to start to get answers. So I think for one reason, I'm really excited to hear that because I think, again, you don't want to give the house away in the second season. And you if they have something in mind for what they want to do in season three and four, that means they have a vision. They know where they want this show to go. They're not just winging it every single season. They know what stories they want to tell every single time, which is great. The other thing I think is coming from the fandom side is one of the big things that have re- that has really come out of of the Star Wars fandom as of related is that they don't get the answers that they want or they don't get answers in general when they think they're going to. So I hope a lot of fans just kind of take whatever they get with The Mandalorian this year and I think we will get answers, but I think if people are maybe wondering we'll finally get all the answers to, to the child if he does stick around for season three and four. Maybe that won't be the case. Maybe we'll slowly start to reveal more of those layers. We'll develop the chemistry of, of Mando and the child, and we'll learn more about Moff Gideon, but we won't get every single answer, which I love because I think, again, if you have something that you want to tell over multiple seasons, it's a slow burn. You don't want to give all the cards away. You don't want to give the house away. You want to get people to come back for more. You want to give them a little taste here and there. And if you do have a successful second season, you develop the story a lot more than season three, season four. People are still hooked on it. You give them what you want. And again, I don't know if season four is when it officially ends. I don't know how long Jon Favreau has this story planned out for. But the one thing that just makes me more happy about is that like I've seen it in previous reports, as I've seen in previous stories, Favreau and Filoni have an idea for where the story is going, where they want to go. They want to go to point A to point Z where, in the end. They have they, they know where they want these characters to go. They're not saying, well, people seem to like what, what the child was. Let's just put them in more of this. Or people loved what, what this was, so we're just going to write that into season three and affect the plot where we wanted this to go. No, they're like, we know where we're going with this. We know the characters that we're going to show. We know where we're going to show them, and we know what we're going to do. So from what John Carlo Esposito has been talking about, which I cannot wait to see more of Moff Gideon, I think we're into something really special here with Star Wars. And I think this is exactly what Star Wars fans have wanted to see for a long time. What we didn't really get with the sequel trilogy, which was, again, one cohesive story, individual films that were very, very good. But we didn't get that kind of full great trilogy that we were expecting 
to get. And I think that is what The Mandalorian and hopefully the future of Star Wars is going to bring us. So this is exciting and I'm really looking forward to October 30th, which is a little bit of more than a month away. So I think the marketing campaign is going to really ramp up over the next few weeks as we get into the month of October. What do you guys think about this story about more Mandalorian potentially in the future, season three or season four? Let me know and leave your thoughts below. And the final thing that I want to get into today is what I usually do on Wednesdays and whenever I see some big films, especially in the wake of what 2020 has really become, I try to bring in the weekend preview and talk about the major films that are out there in theaters and streaming on VOD, wherever that they may be. I want you to hear about them. And there's not a whole lot of major stuff out this week, but the one thing that is out actually right now globally on Netflix is the the anticipated film, at least I'm anticipating it, the new Millie Bobby Brown film, Enola Holmes, which is a different take on the Sherlock Holmes universe in which instead of focusing on the world's greatest detective, they focus on the sister. And it's really kind of showing a great female empowered story of somebody kind of coming into their own, not having men define them or their brothers define them, coming and being your own person, living up to the name, becoming your own woman, showing that women are fierce. It really excites me, and, and and I watched the trailer again today, and Millie Bobby Brown looks terrific. I love the chemistry that she has between Sam Claflin and Henry Cavill, especially the mother-daughter relationship seems big between her and Helena Bonham Carter, so this looks just like a lot of fun, and I think when the first trailer came out, a lot of people might have been looking for something more in vain of what Guy Ritchie did with Sherlock Holmes or the BBC show Sherlock with Kenneth, or not Kenneth Branagh, but Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, but this seems like to be a YA, fun, action-packed, entertaining film, really. It just seems like a fun film, and so I think that's what a lot of people were expecting. It's gotten really good positive reviews, so I'm going to be watching it this weekend, and I'll have a review for you guys in the, in the coming days, but this is one to definitely check out, I think, especially if you're a teenager, if you're looking for just something fun to watch, this looks like it, it, it's it, and it's on Netflix, and there's a lot of people that are watching Netflix right now, so in a world where there's so much stuff to watch on that service, I think this is the one that can definitely stick out and enjoy yourself for the weekend, and that is all from the weekend preview, and that is all for this edition of the San Pacific podcast everybody thank you so much for tuning in be sure to check out my channel for more content you can check me out on spotify apple podcast stitcher radio public soundcloud and much more also make sure to tune in onto the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that you can find on there such as you mad bro the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations return on investment and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services also check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can also check out these other cool shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Addict Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure you can follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Basel Samuel. That's B U S E L S A M U E L. Again, that's B U S E L S A M U E L. And on Facebook at Sam Basel. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.